Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, she's a type 1 diabetic coach, entrepreneur, and podcast host. It's Lauren Bongiorno. How are you doing today, Lauren? Doing so wonderful. Thanks for having me on, Alex. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Ooh, okay. I had a lot of different uh, interests, but I would say, so I grew up uh, on Long Island in New York. That's actually where I reside now as well. And growing up, um, I was diagnosed at seven years old. And I would say before and after, like my hobbies didn't change much. I was very athletic. So played a lot of soccer, ended up going to play division one soccer down in North Carolina in college eventually. Um, But I also was into theater and uh, music. I took piano lessons for about I think like 13 years singing, all of that. So it was like two different, very two different um, interests, but I would say those were the biggest ones. What was something that you enjoyed about playing soccer at that age? Uh I, I love, I mean, at that age, I just loved the, I think the, I, I loved like the game of it. Like I just, I really enjoyed having a common goal with a bunch of other people and then that feeling of winning or the feeling of losing and then being like, okay, like that is what I'm going to use as motivation to, to win um, next time. And I'm still like very much the same person. And and I love, you know, all things just like playing tennis with my husband during the week where we were just uh, on, on a trip and we played some like local beach volleyball. So I am, it's even though I'm not like an athlete anymore per se, I would say I still kind of identify a lot with that. I played soccer growing up pre-diabetic okay. and I think the teamwork aspect was my favorite part just being out there on the field with everyone and trying to win together or if yeah. we lose together learn from it but at that age all you cared about was winning so I just loved being out there and especially being outside I mean you just look and you're just outside on that big open field and just enjoying the weekend usually the games are on the weekend so you look forward to it throughout the week with school and then Go play on the weekends. Absolutely. I agree. You talked about music theater was a big part. Comparing to you playing soccer, what was different about the theater or the music that you learned about yourself doing? So I will say, like, I I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, I it's not part of my background that I talk about much, and I I don't know why. I think because the athleticism and my journey, like, to play college soccer kind of um, just outshined that part. But I feel like it it really is who I am at my core. I love entertaining and I love getting people to feel a certain way and the ability that, um, you know, ability to either make somebody cry or to smile or to laugh. It's just, I, I enjoy it. And from, yeah, like a young age, I was in like local theater. I was in plays in school. I even did a little bit of like film stuff as a kid. Um, and I, and I love the creativity, I think, and how different it is from, you know, obviously like soccer and, and athletics. It's like a different muscle that you're working. And a lot of my work today and what I do, especially like on social media, there's a lot of creativity that is involved. Mm-hmm. There. And um, yeah, it's something that I think is just, uh, you know, one of my, I don't want to say skills, but yeah, like one of the things that I think I'm, I've always been kind of natural at, I would say is, is being able to like be on camera and I really enjoy it. So it's, it's fun that I get to bring it into my career as well. I think definitely important with theater is being able to speak to a crowd and especially with podcasting, speaking on camera, speaking to a guest or wherever you're doing an episode. Do you think that has helped you be more confident when you're doing podcasting? Because you had that experience of talking to a crowd and and people listening, but in a different format. 
Oh, 1000%. And I mean, like even just the memory, right? Like memorizing all the lines for a play and whatever role you're doing and, and knowing and seeing just the audience and knowing if you have to change, like in order to make sure that they're like paying attention, they're captivated and just like making your voice, you know, change a certain way. It's, it's really, I think a skill that as an adult is, is no matter what you're in, whether it's podcasting or social media, or you're in a boardroom, like being able to stand up and confidently deliver something in front of other people. There's always, I think a level of nerves, but having that experience as a kid, I think definitely set me up um, to be less intimidated by it as an adult for sure. With growing up in Long Island, is there anything about Long Island that you enjoy that maybe is like a hidden secret that people don't know about? Something that you enjoy that's special to someone that lived in Long Island. So I will say I had the classic like grass is always greener on the other end where I went to North Carolina for college because I'm like, I cannot get like, I cannot be in New York for like for college. Like, I want to get away like the world, the country is so big and I want to experience it. And then the second I was in North Carolina, I really enjoyed it. But I also was like every time I came home, so happy. And I had a deeper appreciation afterwards. Um, and just like knowing that home to me is it, I've learned I'm a big traveler and I've always had growing up this like zest for adventure and going to all these places and experiencing the world. But at the end of the day, it's like home is where your family is. And so for me, like my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, my, my, my parents, right? Like my sister, uh, everybody is my family, my, my in-laws, everybody's within 15 minutes of, of where we <laughs> now. Right. And so um, I'm lucky to have, you know, a great family. So I would say like, for me, it's, it's the family part. Um, and then also Long Island, I mean, summertime is why we live here. It's like the three months out of the year, the beaches, the just hikes, the nature, everything is, is just so beautiful. And then in the winter time, we all look at where we're going to book to travel. (laughs) (laughs) I love the family aspect because I lived an hour and 30 minutes from my family. And that's not as far as New York from North Carolina, but I always wanted to just be home with family, like being that close drive. There's just something about where you grow up and if everyone's around there, like how you were talking about your whole family lives close to each other because that's something that you're used to that just brings special to that Mm. area that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I, this is where I live now. And um, we lived in the city for a few years and then during the pandemic, we bought our first house and then got married. So uh, we're happy. Growing up, did you have anyone that was a big motivator or inspiration for you? You know, I think for me, I'd honestly say that I was my own biggest motivator. I think my my parents, um, they were really great role models in the way that they acted at what they preached. Right. So like if my dad was teaching us a lesson, like every time we left the house, my dad would have this thing where he was like safety, health and reputation. Like just remember those three things when you're leaving the house, literally like every time or like if I asked in high school to go to a party, he was like, okay, like let's go down the checklist. And it was annoying at the time, but like he also like would exemplify how he lived his life through just being intentional about the things he would say or the things that he would do. And so um, I think him and also my mom in the same way, my mom's like very independent, very strong, very confident in herself and, and all of watching her, you know, they instilled those things in me and, and I don't think that I was always, I, 
I don't think I always exemplified those characteristics um, in the way that maybe I do now because I was growing up as a child, right? And as a, as a teenager and I'm going through finding myself, but I always knew like the type of person I wanted to be. And so I had, I think a lot of, you know, what they instilled in me and then I was always like my own motivator to be the best version of myself, truth, truthfully. Is there anything that you learned from that time that you utilize today or adapt it in a different way to where you still look back at those times where your dad was doing those checklists, but you're doing it in your own version? Well, I don't, I don't know if this answers your question, you know, directly, but I think that an area that I had to grow into was the idea that I wasn't invincible as a child. I wouldn't say I was a rebellious child because I didn't even like, if you compare me to other kids, I wasn't doing anything like crazy rebellious, but like, I just was, I had this belief that like, not like I could do anything and not really have to think about the consequences of it. So for instance, I would, you know, leave the house without just sugar, like for my blood sugars, right. Or I would like go out with a vial of insulin or a backup pen that was like, had like a unit in it and like clearly not enough if something went wrong with my pump or, or whatever it was. And so, you know, I think being that my dad was always helping to like be like, okay, you have to think like five steps ahead. Like if something goes wrong, like what are you going to do? And I'm like, dad, nothing's going to go wrong. Or mom, nothing's going to go wrong. You know, now as, now as an adult, I have enough life experiences with my back up against the wall being like, Ooh, like you didn't think that was going to happen. And now it did. And now you have to problem solve because you're in the middle of Costa Rica with a broken, you know, um, a broken insulin pump and you have expired insulin with you on pens and the nearest pharmacy is six hours away. So I've had enough of those experiences that now I feel like I've grown into an adult version where it's just you realize you're not invincible like diabetes is something that you have to be like take seriously and um that's kind of you know why I think what I didn't have then that I do have now (laughs) for listeners listening Laura and I are going through the similar journey as type 1 diabetics and I want to talk about the very beginning talk about leading up to the diagnosis what was going on did your family notice anything were you noticing anything different before the diagnosis happened I was seven years old when I was diagnosed. I, it was November 1st. Um, and so it was the day after Halloween. Everyone's always like, Oh, did you eat too much candy? And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. You know, that's not how it works. Um, but yeah, I, I was seven years old and I was a tiny kid already and I was losing so much weight. And my mom just noticed I was drinking a lot of water. I was really irritable. I was like going to the bathroom 20 times a day and she brought me to like the regular pediatrician office just to, you know, be like something is wrong. I'm not really sure. They never thought it was something like a chronic illness, like type one diabetes, but, um, ultimately they tested my blood sugars, diagnosed me right away. And then I spent a week in the ER after that. During that time, was it nerve wracking thinking that my life is going to completely change where I'm going to have to take medicine. I'll have to do insulin, take blood sugars and all that a lot more than prior to that date where you weren't doing it at all. Oh, no, 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 no. Like if I was diagnosed as an adult, probably yes. At seven years old, I'm like, I don't have to go to school. I'm in like, everybody's bringing me presents and like teddy bears and balloons. And this is cool. Like what's going on? Why are my parents crying all the time? I had no idea. Like I really couldn't conceptualize, you know, what would change. And I don't know if that was intentional by my parents in terms of they like, they were shielding me on purpose, but I do know that there were conversations of like, Hey, like things are going to change. You have to take insulin now. And it's always, it comes down to the age old question, right? Like it, nurture versus, versus, um, nurture versus na- nature. I think innately I'm a person that is just 
not afraid of challenge, but I also think that my parents did a good job of, of talking to me about like, this is a challenge that you're going to have, but like you can overcome it. And like, you're not going to let it stop you doing anything. So, um, I think that's why I was not as shocked as maybe, you know, other people, other people are, but also I think kids are resilient like that too, and don't have that full sense of what's going on in that moment. But you talked about how you weren't rebellious during that time where I was diagnosed at 10 and I was more worried about, oh, am I going to go to sixth grade camp? Like that was in like a couple uh-huh. weeks prior or after I got diagnosed. And I think during that time I was more risk taking, like, oh, I'm going to risk it. Oh, I can eat whatever I want and I'm going to take the insulin. And I think it caught up to me over time, but I think during the, I liked that I got diagnosed at the age I did because it helped me grow to where I am today. I think if I was an adult diagnosed with it, I don't know what it would have been like. Cause I'm so, I was so used to, it. I went through the high school days with it. I went through the college days with it. How do you feel that for yourself? Do you have that a different point of view when it comes to that? Do you prefer being diagnosed at the age you were? Cause it kind of grew to where you are today. Yeah. I mean, I, I have confidence in myself that I, if I were to be diagnosed as an adult, it would be like anything else in adulthood where we've all experienced this, where you have a plan and then out of nowhere, something happens and completely derails it, but you get knocked down and you figure it out. Um, I feel grateful I was diagnosed. Oh, I don't know if you can hear my pump beeping right now. Sorry. <laughs> Go off a few times. Um, but all to say, yeah, like I, I feel grateful that I was diagnosed as a kid for the reason that you said, where it's like, I, I don't really know anything different and it made me the person that I am today and it, 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 it shaped me. So I'm in a similar boat. As an athlete playing soccer, how did that change for you? Does the, did the coaches pay more attention to making sure you were okay? Were you more conscious of what was going on with blood sugars prior to games? How did that role take place? Yeah. So being an athlete actually created, um, me hiding my, my diabetes, which is a big part of kind of, um, you know, why I'm so open about my diabetes, especially online today, because that's not how it always was. Um, for many, many years, I did not like tell coaches I had diabetes, especially in college. I just did not mention it. I don't even, I don't, I don't even know if it was like on my medical form, to be honest, because I didn't want other, I didn't want them treating me different than the other players. I didn't want them, um, looking at me when we're down to, you know, two, one in a game, 15 minutes left being like, Oh, Lauren's blood sugar might let go. Well, let's put her on the bench and let's put somebody else in. I wanted a fair and equal shot. Um, and I think years and years and years of being a teenager and viewing, having that viewpoint of myself and like kind of hiding it, it ultimately led up to compounding shame that I had around my diabetes and feeling different than everybody else. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, how, how I went about that. <laughs> Do you feel that if you were open about it and you did have the results of the coaches not treating you the same, do you think that would maybe lose your interest in playing soccer like at that level or it might lead you to a different path because of that? Because you weren't fulfilling that enjoyment anymore because of how you were going to be treated. I mean, like truthfully, like I don't I don't. I don't think that I would have been treated any differently, right? Like I knew what kind of player I was. My coaches knew what kind of player I was. I was captains of like many of the teams. Like I was, I, I was, I was good, right? Like the diabetes didn't really um, get in the way, I would say of that. It was more so just like in my mindset. So even if I was more open with 
um, like the challenges of going low and high and not kind of just like running off to the side and chugging some juice really quickly or not like playing and let my blood sugar ride at really high numbers because I don't want to come off the field and take insulin. Like, I don't know. I think I, I still would have played. It wouldn't have changed, yeah. you know, me not, me not playing. What was that dream job that you were always going for? Did you have a dream job that you were wanting to pursue? Yeah. So I was on the path to become an attorney. I come from a family of lawyers. I took my LSAS twice, spent like six months out of my life in a room studying for them and did nothing. (laughs) But now (laughs) I always say there's a good chance I might go back to law school one day. I just feel like it might happen. But, um, you know, I was really interested in college. Um, first I was interested in family law. Um, and then it turned into when my passion for health and wellness, and I was going through my own journey with, with just diabetes and just learning so much on my own in college that I was like, why aren't we taught this by the U S like our, by our doctors, right? Like, why aren't we talking about, about food and why, why haven't we learned about hormones and impact on blood sugar and all these things? I decided like, okay, I can go into like healthcare law and that's like something that's closer and I can fight for better, stricter labeling laws on foods or this or that. And I had all these ideas to maybe even be like a lobbyist. And it all came back to just like advocating. Like I'm a big person where it's like, if I see, if I feel something or see something that's like unjust, I want to go advocate and fight for it. And ultimately I decided not to go on that path because I realized I didn't want to fight for like years and years and years to not see anything change because I mean, that's how, you know, that's how it goes. Um, And I really wanted to like make an impact on an individual level and, see somebody's life change and be able to do that. And so then it started the question of like, well, how am I going to do that? Okay. Am I going to become a doctor? Am I going to become a dietitian? Am I going to become a psychologist? And ultimately what I decided was those professions exist. And a lot of people with type 1 diabetes have access to them. And so what is missing in the diabetes space? And for me, I recognize that health coaching was an up and coming profession. And I understood that that was a lot about like, taking somebody's hand and helping them get from point A to point Z through behavior change and mindset and understanding themselves and self-exploration and, and education gaps and all of those things. And I was like, yes, like this is what I want to do. What was the most a proud moment of really getting into health coaching in your career? What's something that has been an accomplishment for you? I mean, I think the biggest thing is that once again, health coaching was not an established profession back in 2014. It's still right now today, like still getting traction. And um, a lot of people couldn't understand it. There was not in the entire country, right? Maybe you can find a handful, maybe two, three, four people that were quote unquote coaching other people with type 1 diabetes. But I felt this really, really, really intense pull that this is something that is going to help a lot of people and should be something that is part of like every type 1 when they get diagnosed and their experience. And when I worked with one person and then two person and then three, you know, three people, it just became more clear to me like, whoa, like this person that I just, you know, the first client who took a gamble on me, let's say like her A1C lowered to a 7.5 in the time working together and her life was changed. And it was like, okay, this works. And now, you know, I sit here today and we have a team at Risely of uh, eight, seven other coaches. We've worked with over 650 type ones, like we're making an impact. So I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that like trusting the intuition that like, just because it hasn't been done before, doesn't mean you can't pave the way for it. 
Do you feel that your experience as a type one is so valuable to the people that you help because you have gone through those experiences, the challenges that they may have faced, you maybe have gone through it. And that shows differently than maybe a doctor that doesn't have diabetes and they don't have a hard time understanding what it feels like to go low or how to treat a high better and through different people's activities level. Because I know it's so hard with doctors because I can talk to them and say, I do this, I do that, but they don't know how to understand that because they're not living it. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with the healthcare system. One being exactly what you just said, the relatability factor. There's plenty of studies and research done on diabetes and outside of diabetes that show that when the person, the provider is has experience with the condition that the patient is going through, there's just an automatic um, bond and trust that happens where the person and the patient's more open to listening and, and opening up. And so um, all of our coaches live with type 1 diabetes. And I you know definitely think that's a huge draw for people because we do get it. And a lot of us have been in the shoes of where our clients, you know, are currently struggling. Um, Another problem with the way the healthcare system is set up is that, you know, you know, this, you go into your endo, they kind of sit there, they have 20 minutes. It's not their fault. It's the way the healthcare system is set up. And they are like, okay, like you're high at this time. Let's just change this rate. And like, you know, try to lower your A1C by next time. Bye. See you later. Have a great day. And you're like, uh, okay. Right. (laughs) Not everybody's experience, but it's the majority. I think my favorite moment, I just had it recently this year is I told her, my doctor, I go, I'm going to do a tough mutter this year. Do you have any advice Mm. on how to handle it? Even though in my back pocket, I was talking to other diabetics that I've been networking with and connecting with and that have experienced it. And she's like, um, I think you have to wear your pump. And I go, what happens if I don't want to break my pump? She goes, (laughs) um, I don't know. And I'm thinking that's not a good answer. (laughs) And that shows that like you mentioned, they can't relate to doing it or they don't know how to experience it. So I think it's so good that there's coaches out there like yourself that they are experienced with diabetes and you're able to be there and not holding hands, but you're able to give point of view experience that's so helpful and knowledgeable. And I will tell you, I did a Tough mutter about, is it like seven, six or seven years ago? And I woke up the morning of, you sound more prepared where you're thinking ahead of time. The morning of, I woke up and I was like, oh, I can't wear my pump. What do we do now? <laughs> like, we don't, we cannot bring sugar on this 13 mile course. Like, what do we do now? So I, I get it. And it's something to think about. And it's a challenge. And I did it. So I'm, I'm confident that you, you can do it too. Oh, I did it. I did it um, this right. year and it was the oh, best amazing. experience ever. And the funny thing is my blood sugar stayed normal the whole entire day. And I was like, I've, I was freaking out and I'm like, how did I do this perfectly? And I'm like ready for the next one. Cause I live by this motto, rise to the challenge and diabetes is not going to stop me from doing what I want to do. Incredible. That's so great. I know when, when you're done with a tough mutter, you're like, and, and with diabetes, that is like a quintessential example of like, you can't, there's nothing that we can't do. How did you come up with the title of your company, Risely Health? I want to learn about that. Yeah, absolutely. So my one of my best friends, she is a visual designer, brand builder, um, absolutely incredible talent. And when we're rebranding from Lauren Bondorno Coaching to our company, the name was the our initial our initial name. We had an initial name that was like very 
just straightforward. It was like the diabetic coaching company or something like that. And I actually presented on stage to win a grant to a kind of like a shark tank incubator situation um, uh, about six weeks before we launched. And I launched with a deck and um, uh, a whole idea that was under that name. And I ended up out of like 50 women that, you know, um, applied to win. And then the, the final 10 that presented on stage, I ended up winning the grant and for the company. And um, the one of the investors afterwards pulled me aside and said, great pitch. You got to change the name. And I was like, Oh, and I like, didn't even want to tell him like, this isn't even the current name. Like this is the name of the new company we're literally launching in six weeks. And I was like, Oh, tell me more. And he was like, it needs to, he's like, can't be descriptive, like has to be more just like more aligned with what you guys are doing and what you're building, which is like, you're transforming people, people's lives. You are like all the things that are like, you know, we talk about all the time of helping people just reclaim ownership of their, of their diabetes and everything. And he went into this whole other explanation as well. I'm like, this isn't a guy like who walked off the street, right? He like Warren Buffett bought his company for like hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, he's well, very well established. And he was just one of the judges. So I remember going into a full-blown panic because my whole entire team was like, we were six weeks out from launching a whole new brand website. And I have to come back and be like, Hey guys, like we don't, not only is this not the title, we do not have, or not the brand name. Like we also, I have no ideas for what the brand name is going to be. So it ended up um, my friend who was building the whole website with her team for us and the whole brand. um, She ended up working with me and at like, it was like 3am one Friday night and uh, ended up just coming to the word rise, because that's really like to you, like rise the challenge. I love that we have that in common. And um, what we're doing is we're helping people rise to infuse more like energy and, and, you know, focus and all of those things into their lives. And so we came up with vitality and we were like, how is rise and vitality going to go together? And that's how Risely was born. <laughs> I love that. And it's just, it, you can be able to connect with it where people that come to you and they see that name, they're able to utilize that term in their life to rise to any. Oh yeah. Best move ever. I'm so happy that <laughs> that guy pulled me aside, even though I was panicking and not sleeping for like six weeks. Uh, Cause yeah, it was like two weeks before, maybe even like a week before is when we, we finally decided on the name. So um, yeah, definitely happy with the decision. Looking towards the future with the company, is there anything that you're excited about that's going to be happening or anything that you're wanting to envision it for the future with it? Yeah. So we have a, a lot of plans. I mean, if you, you know, ask me what the mission is for the company, like really it is so far beyond just like me as a solo um, entrepreneur, right? Like it, it turned first from Laura Bundarno coaching into Risely because I realized I recognized it was bigger than me. And now having a team and all of our coaches were able to serve more people, create more impact, change more lives, but it still feels like it's bigger than us. And what the mission is, is really to be able to revolutionize type 1 diabetes healthcare and to have Risely coaches as an extension of the healthcare system. Um, so that's the big goal. And I'll say that like, we will be working towards that bigger vision until we get there. I love that. I'm I'm excited to see what the future has for that. Talk, talk about podcasting as we're both podcast hosts. How did you create your podcasts? Yeah. So, um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, and so when I 
when I have an idea to do something, I'll marinate on it for about um, like a year and a half. Like that's usually my timeline before <laughs> I actually do something because I'm like, okay, like am I actually gonna do this? Because I know that once I do, like I'm I'm going all in. Um, and so, you know, for me, I built my my community, my incredible community who I'm just so grateful for and, and have the opportunity to connect with in so many different ways, but it, it started out in, um, in, on Instagram. So that was very much like, it's a lot of written text, right? And then of course mm-hmm. you have Instagram stories, so you're talking a little bit more. Um, but I recognize that like, I was going through this journey where I, knew that I had more of my voice to share. And I felt like I wasn't a hundred percent authentically sharing the thoughts um, and the just big ideas and the education like that I had the potential to do. And I recognize that podcasting was a form to do that. And so selfishly podcasting and starting the podcast a year and a half ago was a way um, for me to like step into, I think my fullest power with my voice and like learn um, how to not be afraid of, you know, imperfection because of the fact that when you're podcasting, as you know, especially, I don't know if you do any solo episodes, but I do solo episodes frequently. And it's like, yeah, I could stop and redo it and edit it. But like most times, like you're just, you're going through right. And if you kind of, I don't want to say mess up, but it's a good practice to like not worry about being perfect. Um, And then of course, the flip side of it is like, that was selfishly for me, but like what it's given to the type of IVs community. I mean, it's, it's, it allows me to connect with people so much deeper and then have them listen and then write me and be like, oh my God, like, I love that thing you said, or that hit me, or, you know, I was walking and do my morning, morning walk, listening to this episode and it like set me up for a great day. So I feel like it's just another way to be able to, um, you know, help, help people along their journey and help them reclaim their rise. You talked about people writing in after they've listened to an episode of yours. Is there been one or a few that's been memorable that something that they said to you that they really connected on something that you mentioned? Yeah. So I think the the top performing episode we have right now was um, when I did kind of like a recap of a really, really, really bad blood sugar, low, low blood sugar that I had. Um, so was it lo- a low one? I've done a low one and a high one, but I believe, yeah, the first one was a low blood sugar. So I basically had this night where, and you know, anybody listening, you can go listen to the full episode, but had like a really, really bad low, like worse than I've ever had in a while. And I wasn't going to share it on social media. Like, I don't know, I wasn't going to share it because it was like the next day. And I'm like, it happened last night, like so late at night, like, and what am I even say? Like, and then I was like, oh, like, this is a perfect episode for the podcast. Like, because I'm sure everybody's been there. And I just went into like a really just half an hour full in-depth episode of like what happened, analyzing it, the mindset around it, the shame that can come up when you have those types of lows. And a lot of people wrote in from that one, just, you know, connecting with the, connecting with the vulnerability, I think of it was, was really where that connection lied. Where do you feel that with your content creation, people are finding you where other diabetics that somehow they're getting brought to your show, your page, and wanting to be able to really learn and see how you are open and vulnerable about your experience with diabetes? Yeah. So, I mean, my Instagram is where I post the most, uh, TikTok I post as well, but Lauren underscore Bongiorno, that's where I'm, you know, showing up pretty much daily and, um, it's all different things. It's, it's travel with diabetes. It's, you know, what's, what's working and what's working for our clients at Risely and how I've been able to do things like eat, you know, pizza and croissants and have a busy schedule and being out of routine a lot of the time with work and, um, still manage to have, you know, below a six, a one C and, um, 
you know, the podcast, of course, you know, we have an email newsletter at Risely. So there's a bunch of different areas that, you know, people have opportunity to connect with. Something that you posted recently on your Instagram was a moment with low blood sugar. You're eating a peanut butter and jelly that your husband got you. Uh-huh. Big thing with diabetes is the people that in your circle, family, friends, really understanding what you're going through and being that support system. How has that support system played an effect with your diabetes management and how you feel about your diabetes around them? Yeah, so I think that my my support system hasn't changed that has stayed stagnant in the sense that they've always been there for me and available to me. I think more so I changed where I used to um, not want to be like a burden to them. And it's like, this is my thing. Like why, like I should, if I'm low, get up and walk to the fridge and get juice because like, why would I bother my now husband to get off the couch? And um, now I think I've, changed my relationship to my diabetes and myself. Um, and, you know, recognize that like, it's not weak to ask for support and that's, you know, love you. And that's what they're, they're there for. So yeah, the video that I posted, I was on the couch and I way over bolused for, um, some pasta that we had last night and it, you know, in the previous in the past would have been like me getting up, like grabbing, you know, a bowl of cereal, whatever, probably over treating it. And then just being like, oh, like, why am I in the kitchen? Because it's dangerous to have a low blood sugar in the kitchen. Um, But instead, I just shouted and I was like, Chris, I was like, can you make me a sandwich? I'm low. And he brought it to me and he's wonderful for that. I always tell my mom after I have a low, I'm like, yeah, I think I just ate the whole kitchen, basically. (laughs) I'm like, just trying to find something to naturally um, get the blood sugar up. But I was always worried about friendships when it came to diabetes, especially with college. Cause you know, yeah. college is known for partying lifestyle and I wasn't into that. I joined a fraternity, but my real friends were the ones that were very protective. They were making sure I was okay. Cause they, I was open and honest about it. And I always tell them, ask me anything. Like I'm not afraid to help you understand it better And those were the true friends that really understood and wanted to get to know more about it. And you see it even past now where if I'm sharing something about on a post about diabetes, they're the first ones saying, are you okay? Is everything good? Did you have something? And that's to me, knowing that those are the true people that I need in my support system when it comes to it. It makes me want to be even more open about it, even on episodes like these to really share. Yeah, it's a good filtration system for like friends and, and people around you. If they they can't pass the the sympathy or the empathy test and be there for you, then it's like they don't deserve you. <laughs> Something you have been able to do with content creation is speak on a public platform, today's show and other platforms. What has been that opportunity like for you to really go on a global platform to speak about diabetes? That was, I mean, the Today Show specifically was, I mean, an incredible opportunity. And I think the lesson that I learned there was you don't have to have millions of followers to not only make an impact, but for people to kind of like see what you're doing and what you're, what message you're trying to get out there is. Because I think in content creation, the hard thing is, right? Like there is all these numbers. It's like diabetes, right? Where you're yep. constantly good and my bad, right? And so you put out this piece of content that you feel great about. You're like, oh, this is going to really hit. And then the algorithm pushes it out to like 10 people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's in the growth that I feel like I've had on social media. I think that my 
it really in that moment with the Today Show or any other kind of like notable, whether it was like magazines or things like that, that I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to be in and be a part of and share my story. It's really been like um, validating why I show up on a daily basis and that like those metrics and everything don't really matter. It's just like showing up with the message that I want to share, whether that's education or inspiration or something to make people feel connected and that they're less alone and that trusting it's going to get to the people who need to hear it most. And, um, that, yeah, like it's just, there's, there's opportunities all all around us. And, um, of course those bigger platforms like open up so many doors. I mean, so many type ones found me from the today show. And it was just like very like weird things too, like stories I've heard where someone's like, I never have the TV on and it was randomly on. And like, I was, you know, doing my makeup and I heard type one diabetes. And I was like, I never hear anything about type one diabetes. I always hear like type two. And I looked at the TV and I found you and I've been following you for years. And then they come into coaching and their lives were transformed. So it was just, you know, a very just uh, synchronous, it's like, it's like a lot of synchronicity and just, um, yeah, alignment with, with that opportunity that, that came, that came from, you know, just posting on social media. And you never know who's going to be listening. Like you mentioned, they heard it while doing an activity and then that's how they found you. And it's like, I would have been the same way. I would hear the story. And even if it's like a, t- like you see on like TV shows, movies, if I hear someone that's a type one, I'm going to go research them because I want to learn more about their experience with type one because they're able to connect with something I'm going through. And I think it just shows the bonds of the diabetes community where we're all wanting to learn from each other, support each other any way possible. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Something our listeners like to do is during the episode, learn even more about our guests. When you're not working, what does Lauren like to do for fun? For fun. So, you know, I, um, turning my brain off is something that I'm always working on. I, because I I would say a lot of what I do for work is around health. And also at the same time, a lot of my passions are around health as well. So I love being outside. I love being active. I love working out. I love, you know, uh, cooking with my husband and trying new restaurants and foods. And those are all things that I naturally want to share, whether that's in like a podcast form or on social media. And at the end of the day, though, there's still a level of work to it in the sense that I'm not being a hundred percent present. So my fun for me is when like, there's not really crossover between like sharing anything and just like keeping it to myself. And there's a lot of things that require presence that you can't do both. So like practicing yoga, or I took up horseback riding two years ago. And like, that's been like the biggest joy that I've had as an adult, because you're so focused because you have this like you know, very large animal underneath you that you have to be so (laughs) you can't think about anything else. Right. Um, it could be even just like for fun, like not touching my phone and, and putting it away and just having moments with my family and friends that are just for us and not for the rest of the world. So I would, I would say that. Is there like a dream location you want to go horseback riding? Um, I, I don't know if there's as much of a dream location as there is just like wanting to make it a consistent part of my adulthood in a way, because I think that like, we don't, my husband and I don't have kids yet, but like, you know, hopefully we will one day. And I think then it becomes very centric around, you know, your kids and providing for them and making sure they're having this like amazing life and all activities. And I think what I've seen for my friends that have become, you know, parents, like obviously you go through different seasons, but I, I think one goal I have for myself is just 
remembering that like you can take time and in space to like do the things that really bring, bring you joy because that's going to make you a better parent, a better partner, a better, you know, friend, family member, all of it. We talked about earlier about being able to do anything we can, even with diabetes. Have you had that same mindset where you want to accomplish anything you want and diabetes is not going to stop you from doing it? Yeah. So I actually think about it a little bit differently. How I think about it is that like diabetes is actually the thing that allows me to, um, do anything that I want to do in my life currently with it. So obviously if I didn't have diabetes, I wouldn't be like, I need diabetes to do everything that I, (laughs) but because I have it, it's actually like how I think about it is as long as I'm paying attention to it, as long as I'm making it to be honest, like the number one priority in my life or like top, you know, two, three, depending on like what season I'm in, like that is going to allow me to feel my best. It's going to allow me to, you know, be in a place and a space of my just, you know, most focused, energized, happy self. And then anything that I want to do is going to come easier. I, I, I truly do believe um, as a result of feeling, feeling better. Looking at your journey that you've been on so far, if you had to describe it in a few words that really describe who you are as a person, how would you describe the journey that you've been on? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, I would say uh, it's a lot of confidence before evidence. So kind of like having a lot of confidence first to that, like things are going to work out or like, I'm going to trust this intuitive pull or I, you know, just this idea for rise league or whatever it is, like seems impossible. Like for some reason, like I'm really confident that like, this is going to work out. And so it's a little bit of, um, you know, a lot of times I say delusional confidence, but I think it's more optimism, um, would be probably the theme. And, and then me thinking like most people think like you have to get the thing and then you feel confident or then you feel optimistic about your future where like, I kind of have, have lived it in reverse. And I think that's been, been helpful in getting me to where, where I am today. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Mm, Is this specific for somebody with diabetes? Nope. Anyone. Because sometimes people can take the same thing you've gone through, even if they don't have diabetes and utilize it in their lives. So this could be for anyone. For sure. So I would say, um, any challenge that I've ever had, um, the thing, the number one thing that has helped me overcome it, whether it's been diabetes, a tough, you know, blood sugar day, or it's been something work related or relationship related is really like creating space for it and the feelings that are coming up. And then beyond that, getting to the root of like, why it happened and then starting to move forward into problem solving or like what's the plan of action here so it's a high level of self-awareness which i do believe is a practice and something that the more you do it and the more space you create to like really get to understand like your feelings your needs root reasons for why something why a certain challenge keeps coming up right like you have the answers within you and you have to strengthen that trust with your intuition because the more that you can do that the more you realize that you don't have to rely on other people. Like you can create, you can have that agency over yourself and over your outcomes and yeah, reclaim ownership of that and your future. 
Lauren, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people out there and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. Tune in next time. Hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.